When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Football Social Daily, keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. Hello and welcome to Thursday's Football Social Daily. As you know by now, it's the only place to get daily Premier League podcasts during the season. And what a season it's turning out to be. There's a massive race at the top. Everyone's beating each other. But finally, last night, Liverpool strengthened their bid for a second straight Premier League title by beating Spurs 2-1 at Anfield. But that didn't stop Jose Mourinho and his mind games after the final whistle. He claims that Spurs were the better side, despite having just 29% possession. Is this just the start of a long-term rivalry between Mourinho and Klopp? Elsewhere last night, there were wins for Everton and Leeds during a busy midweek fixture list. And there's more action tonight as the festive period continues with Sheffield United, Manchester United, Aston Villa and Burnley all in the firing line for games tonight. Discussing that alongside me, Marley Anderson, is two of Scotland's finest voices. Not the Proclaimers, but Callum Tyler and JP Hughes. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Glad to be here. Same, mate. Very good, thank you. Very good indeed. I didn't I didn't uh, prod a, a nerve there when I mentioned the Proclaimers, did I? But it's the festive period, I can't help it. There's something festive about them. Did they ever do a Christmas song? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, man. That's like... Uh... Yeah, but they only... They... <laughs> They only come about, sort of, they, they come out the woodwork. I feel like it's Christmas. I could be completely wrong. Do they? You're probably right. They didn't probably have a Christmas song, but they do on this podcast. So let's just a, go a, a with it. A big claim, early doors. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the, the ghosts of Pundit's past. It's like the ghosts of Alan Brazil and Alan Hansen have come back to haunt football social daily. <laughs> All right, lads, let's get into the football because this, this pop, Scottish pop chat is not going so well for me. Uh, so we're going to start with the big game at Anfield last night. Roberto Firmino scored a late 90th minute header from a corner to uh, take the points for Liverpool and send them clear of Spurs at the top of the league. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this felt like a big checkpoint in the race for the title uh, for me. Is it something now that you can say, right, well, they've they've came through this hard test, they've, they've had the injury worries, they're starting to clear up a little bit now... Um, JP, is it is this the time where Liverpool kick on a gear and, and leave everyone in their dust? Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Um, last night, I really enjoyed the game. 
thought it was uh, it was everything we'd hoped it was it was going to be um, that intriguing tactical battle, two different styles, action, controversy. As always, you've got the Hollywood blockbuster moments at the end with those two managers, uh, just amazing. But I thought that last night was the mark of champions. Um, if Tottenham had the credentials, I believe you know th those th the three big chances that they had um, would have been one or two of those would have been put away. Uh, when Liverpool's came their way, they were just a bit more clinical. Uh, now that they've got that, you know, as the games were finished last night, and I was watching a wee bit of the, the punditry, and you saw the league tables come up, and you saw that little gap open up with Liverpool. Uh, it was at three points, and uh, as soon as they saw that, I thought, there it is. That's the first step on the road. So um, it might be bold. But I would be prepared, and if you was a betting man, uh, I'd have a money on Liverpool already. Yeah, it definitely felt like a significant thing. And with the way the winner came about, uh, Callum, it was one of them where it was a it was a real body blow, not to, not just to everyone in the league, um, but specifically to, to Spurs and the way they'd set up. Um, just speaking on that, 24% possession for Spurs last night. Uh, eight shots compared mm -hmm. to 17. It would... From the stats, it was it was dominant from from Liverpool. But you seen what Spurs were trying to do, didn't you? You seen that they were trying to draw them on um, and hit them on the counter attack, as they did for for Young Win Son's equaliser. Um, what did you, what did you make of the the tactical battle? Was it was it something that you expected from from Mourinho? Yeah, this was this was kind of vintage Premier League in every sense, and the the two sides definitely sort of played their roles. Uh, Liverpool kind of dominating possession, always trying to make something happen, and Spurs playing like the classic Jose Mourinho team, sitting back and just trying to sucker punch them. You know, we've seen him do that so many times, with great success, actually, since he did it all the way back when he took Inter Milan to the Camp Nou, um, famously. I think on the point of Liverpool, is this the moment that they, that they actually kind of kick on and, and, and win the title. They, they've certainly seen off the challenge of Southampton, haven't they? Um, so <laughs> that's that's a big a big marker for them. Uh, but no, this was, this was a, a phenomenal game. Um, it was kind of, th both the sides are kind of set up very much in line with the manager's personalities, aren't they? You know, Liverpool are sort of the unstoppable force and Spurs kind of the immo immovable object, um, as it were. But no, it, it had everything this game. It was brilliant. Yeah, we, you mentioned, you sort of alluded to it there, the bit of drama after the full-time whistle. Um, Jose Mourinho was asked what did he say to Klopp um, at the end of the game on the on the touchline by the Amazon reporter. And he, he said that he told him that the better team lost and that he, <laughs> um, he that, that Klopp disagreed. Um, Jippy, uh, is he talking the proverbial there or is he... Um, does he have some sort of weird point that he was trying to make, or is it just all a case of Mourinho's mind games yet again? I'll, I'll repeat my answer to the first question. Yes, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, absolute talking garbage. JP's back. in a hurry today. I am. I, <laughs> he needs it's, to be yeah. away. <laughs> it's, uh, we've got a big uh, Christmas hit single to record later on. But, uh, <laughs> there's, um, I think he. It's classic Mourinho again, isn't it? Uh, deflection from uh, what was a spurned opportunity to uh, open a gap at the top of the league and, and, and really um, consolidate themselves as genuine title contenders with those missed chances. Um, they, they, they weren't the better team. They were better in the second half. That doesn't make you the better team. <laughs> and uh, I thought that Liverpool, um, on the whole, as, as Callum said, you know, it, it was like a classic Premier League match, the way that they, they played into those kind of those archetypes. 
it reminded me very much of, of, of a classic European knockout tie. It, it had that feel to it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a classic uh, away performance versus a, a vintage um, uh, possession team uh, just coming forward in waves of attack. So, yeah, I think that Mourinho, um, as he always does, he's brilliant at shining the spotlight away from any uh, mistakes or deficiencies his team might have had on the night, even though I thought they played really well in periods and, uh, and bringing that back in. But isn't it just amazing? Isn't it just brilliant uh, television to watch that you know that that's not just there just to, to, to boost ego or... You know, I, I think, uh, as, as you were saying, that the guys on Amazon last night went, maybe if Josie takes a breath sometimes, he won't say these things. Listen, Josie's taking a breath. He knows exactly no. what he's saying. Um, and what he was... What <laughs> it's, uh, he, it's part of my season, isn't it? Totally. And what he wanted to do was get inside the heads of those Liverpool staff, those Liverpool players, those Liverpool fans, and his own fans, and his own players, and his own staff, building it up to the next game. I thought it was brilliant, man. I can't wait for them to come back and, uh, and play in London. It's funny, I... I... You'd think that Klopp versus Mourinho would have would have clapped. They would have clashed by now because they're so they're such distinct personalities. But I can't really remember a time that they've they've gone at each other quite like last night. Is this the first time Mourinho's had a, a team to be able to warrant the mind games in the last year or so? However long he's been in charge of Spurs now, it's probably the, the only time he's he's had a genuine sort of excuse to have a have a bit of a pop. He's probably had this this little rant. Um, and you know his, his injury thing before the game saying they haven't got many injuries he's probably had this plan for, for about six months hasn't he Cal? I think um, Spurs are the sort of team they are a big team they are challengers you know they're in the Champions League final but they're still not as imperious as some of the other teams that they're going up against so he can do what he's done what he did so well at Porto in the early days and even kind of at Inter Milan that season they won the Champions League and what he wasn't able to do at Chelsea and Man United is is that siege mentality of the sort of the underdog and I think with Spurs he's got that classic team where you know they've got some good players but there's also a lot of doubts about them and he will just sort of you know he's he's a, a master at using the criticism in a positive way to really energize his players. We saw in the Amazon documentary about them, you know, he was talking about how they needed to be nasty. Um, and I think he's he's certainly turned a few of those players nasty, hasn't he? Yeah, they've definitely got a, a, a lot more personality um, yeah. as, as what they did when, when he first came in. You, you see the likes of Deli Ali falling by the wayside in terms of his plans and he's not had too much... Um, too much issues in, in selling people and getting the team that he wants. And he certainly... Has them at the top of the league, um, well, or close to it, at least in the race, even though he describes his team as a pony in a horse race, as he likes to do. I don't know how many times he's <laughs> popped that one out over the years, but everyone you, everyone knows what Jose Mourinho's ponies can do, given uh, given a lack of, uh, of eyes on them, especially. But, JP, is it something that Mourinho... You know his, his sort of tactics. We, we all know how he plays. We all know... That he likes to 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 soak up the pressure and counter attack. Is there not more of a positive way of playing that would win him a little bit more credit almost at the top of the league? Because I mean, I seen something last night that, that called him um, a Portuguese Deitch the way he played football last night, and it made me <laughs> laugh. It, honestly, it got me. I thought that is a, a disservice if ever I seen one, but. Um, here, the, the style of play, this is it. Got me thinking. The style of play depends on the manager. Like if if Deitch had played that system and Burnley, everyone would say, "Well, just shut, shut up shop for a, for a uh, and hoped for a point." But 
with Mourinho, because there's a genuine threat up front, it's slightly different, isn't it? It's it, it's viewed in a different way. If you put that tactics on a, on a slightly poorer team than Spurs, the manager would be getting a lot of criticism, wouldn't he? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, and it's funny you say that, you know, they've described him as the Portuguese dice. I just got a picture in my head of, you know, that scene in that Amazon documentary where he jumps up and switches off the telly with a foul mouth rant when he doesn't like the Sky Sports are saying about him. I just imagined that happening again last night. Um, maybe last hey, night. Josie, if you're, listening, if you're listening to this, you need to be working harder on the training ground. Right? But I, I think you make a fair point, Marley. Um, there is definitely, and I think this happens in, in, in all walks of life. Actually, you even see it in uh, you see it in music and arts and movies and all that as well. When something is is uh, is from foreign climes and it's seen as somehow more exotic, and and all of a sudden it's given a different level of credibility where it's homegrown. And I think the same thing actually happens with players too. There's lots of there's lots of young homegrown talent that isn't given the same level of reverence. The uh, young uh, young foreign talent brought into the country as at times and why that is I don't know, but I don't think there's any question. I think you're right. If it was a less uh, sexy proposition than Tottenham, uh, without uh, without the England captain as centre forward, uh, and Josie being the 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 almost tabloid 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 headline writer that he is with his his post match interviews, I don't think they would get the same credit that they do because they are a pretty tough watch quite often. Um, but I have to say, when they do break, uh, what was it? Uh, what, what did Klopp describe them as last night? Uh, a counter-attacking monster. A counter-pressing um, machine. And, monster, uh, yeah. and they really are the pace and 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 the effectiveness and, and the efficiency that they that they, they counter-attack with is so impressive. Obviously, they wasted a couple of chances last night. Um, but you're right. You know, if that was Burnley or even Marley, did we say at Newcastle, um, who, who had that approach? <laughs> I think that they would. Uh, I think they would come in for a lot more flack and criticism than Josie does. But I, I think what you've just said there shows the the nuances of of the difference between a Burnley and a Tottenham. Like like the the managers at the top level, we all know they're obsessed with this idea of transitions and what happens when you get the ball in defence and then you change to attack. Burnley cannot transition as quickly as Spurs, and I think the 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 one fun thing about watching Spurs is that when we saw it last night, Liverpool would have a chance, a close chance, and you get the replay, and then they'd have to cut away from it because Sun would be up the other end of the pitch, and they just move the ball so fast from one end to the other. It's like watching it's like watching a basketball team almost. Yeah, well, they scored from a goal kick, didn't they? Uh, Spurs, their 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 equaliser came from a goal kick, and it might have been offside. That that confused me that whole little situation <laughs> because it it looked offside to to me, but it it stood, and we're not going to go into VAR because the amount of podcasts that have fallen into the VAR black hole this year is uh, life's too short. Yeah, life is life is too short. It'll be bloody New Year's before the time we uh, finish talking about that. But we're going to move on. Um, and the other side of Merseyside also had a good uh, a good victory last night because Everton managed to go and beat Leicester in a game which looked really hard to pick um, before the game, but Everton turned in a top performance, ran away with a 2-0, um, 2-0 victory, and they're now fifth in the league, so back up to, to that chasing pack, chasing their, their cross-city neighbours, Liverpool, at the top of the league. Goals from Richarlison and the first ever goal from Mason Holgate got the job done. Um one thing I wanted to, to talk about with Everton is there was a bit of uh, a, a bit of discontent on, on at Goodison Park with with Ancelotti from some of the fan base I've seen on social media this week. I know it's not the, not the greatest barometer to judge anything by, but there were fans sort of starting to say that Ancelotti needs to do something different with the squad because they'd lost 
I think they lost to, to Man United, they lost to Leeds and they drew with Burnley and it was it sort of went a little bit sour. They also lost to uh, Southampton and Newcastle before that. And as anyone knows, if you lose to Newcastle, you're a bang in trouble. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they've, they've won two and two in a row now uh, against Chelsea and Leicester, kept clean sheets both times. Um, Callum, is, is a Everton back? Um, is this the start of something for them? They've got... Um, They've got Arsenal and Man United coming up next in the in the league for uh, next time out, and then they've got Man United in the EFL Cup quarter final on the twenty third, so two days before Christmas. Is this something now where they can kick on and genuinely prove themselves as as part of that chasing pack after a good start? Are Everton back? Um, it's, we're well, thirteen. Were they ever in. there? Were, were they were they were they ever there? Did they ever go away? It's it's a it's a funny time, isn't it? There's eight points separating the top ten in the Premier League and Everton. Everton have already shown that they're definitely contenders as much as anyone else. Um, this Leicester team have led the league at points as well. Southampton ridiculously are, are up there. I think any any sort of uh, sweeping statement about oh Ancelotti's the right man or the wrong man is is very premature. And I would just remind those Everton fans that not. Two years ago, you were being managed by Sam Allardyce, um, and now you're being managed by literally European football royalty. So maybe just uh, give him another few games to, <laughs> to, before you sort of kick him out. 20, 20, any... 20 trophies and three European Cups, I think, should buy you a bit of good grace and allow you a few, um, uh, shall we say, inconsistent results. <laughs> yeah, but also Everton, Everton are good. Like, they are good. They showed it last night. Um, it's it's still there's still a lot of new players in that team and they're still gelling, um, which is what pundits and managers like to say. And, and I think I'd, I wouldn't be surprised to see them certainly around the top four come the end of the season. If it's good enough for the pundits, it's good enough for us on football social daily, isn't it? So <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's also Ancelotti is getting a tune out of Alexi Wobi, and anyone that wins a game with Alexi Wobi playing wing back <laughs> deserves massive uh, respect in my book. But uh, JP, is it something now that Everton? Um, I mean, they were they were very good last night. They were, I mean, they, they suffered with uh, Alan going off in the first half, but Andre yeah. Andre Gomez came on, played really really well. Um, they seem to have really sorted out the midfield. Um, the likes of Dakure, Andre Gomez, um, Alan when he's fit, James Rodriguez, although he didn't play last night, they're really going to be a problem for for everyone, aren't they? If they if they carry on like this. They are, and I think there's a really nice balance to the Everton team. I, I, I think that they uh, they don't seem over reliant on anyone, which is, is is always good to see. Obviously, you want someone who's who's, who's in great form and highly prolific, but uh, you know th- there doesn't seem to be anybody in that Everton team that if they were to drop out, you would think, oh, that's really going to damage them. You know, they, they they seem capable of filling these gaps. I think that's good squad management from Ancelotti. And as Caleb said earlier, you know they're they're a good team. They're a good watch. I, I enjoy watching Everton. You know. I think mm-hmm. that they're uh, that all of a sudden they've become uh, that they're a game you don't mind sitting down and tuning into. Um, hasn't always been the case, and as you, you quite rightly say, um, have Everton never been there? You know, I, I think you know. No offense to any Everton fans listening, but sometimes I think Everton forget who they are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this isn't uh, this, as Callum said. You know, they've got Carlo. I still couldn't believe it when I when I remember Ancelotti coming into the club that, that they had managed to land him. My, my jaw hit the floor. And uh, I think he will go on to do really, really good things for Everton. If I was an Everton fan, I would be absolutely buzzed up about what this season's going to hold for them. I think that they will have, you know, when he gets that, as he's got now, he's got that balance of the team right. The midfield looks to be firing. He's got goals coming in. You know, they can, inverted commas, drop Pickford, um, but not uh, not have his... uh, 
Apparently his jersey isn't at risk of his place in the team. Um, another clean sheet. But I also think that they played against... Uh, it was probably a good game for them last night because we know that Leicester have struggled really badly at home, weirdly, this season, um, despite their incredible place in the league again. So, uh, well done, Everton. I think they've got a lot to look forward to, but certainly those next couple of games you mentioned will be will be the acid test on, on what they're really made of. Yeah, well, we'll see what's in store for Everton in the in the uh, Christmas period when it all gets very busy and we forget what day it is and all the rest of it. Um, but we're going to take a quick break on Football Social Daily now. We'll be back looking at the rest of Wednesday's action uh, when we come back. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Uh, we've just been looking back at Everton and Liverpool, so if you are a, a fan of Scouse football, go back and listen to that. Make sure you get that. But now we're going to be looking at a team that will never fail to take the headlines because there's been so much going on at the club that um, you simply can't not talk about them. Uh, of course, I'm, you can probably guess that I'm talking about Arsenal at the minute. Um, they finally got a point last night um, against Southampton. They came from 1-0 down to do it. They went down to 10 men. They don't do anything easy these days, uh, Mikel Arteta and co. But, JP, is this a time where Arsenal can use this as a as a kick something to kick on from this season because they went 1-0 down they went down to 10 men they they got the goal before they went down to 10 men of course but they hung on to it they didn't implode they could have won it at the end I think holding hit the bar um, in the sort of 93rd minute or whatever it was is this something that they can use now um, to, to kick on and because Southampton are a good side we all know that we all know that you know they've turned over teams with their pressing system and all the rest of it. But is this something that Arsenal can use and say, right? Well, we've played well there. We've came back. Now we need to kick on. I think if if this is the glimmer of hope that Arsenal fans are looking for, I think it perfectly sums up how far Arsenal have fallen. Um, uh, one of the supposed big six now lurking around the bottom six and uh, scraping and holding on for a draw at home against a decent Southampton team. Uh, only goes to prove how uh, I think this long-term mindset of mediocrity has now set in across Arsenal Football Club. You know, the old cliche, you know, shoot for the stars, you might you might reach the moon. Um, Arsenal uh, seem to think that the stars is beyond the, the, the reach at the start of every single season, shoot for the moon and end up landing somewhere in between a no-man's land, floating out in space, uh, kind of meaning nothing to anyone and achieving very little. And I know we'll come back with the cup at the end of last year and all the rest of it and that little... Um, but really, for a club like Arsenal, I think that uh, if this is what they're looking for, if, if this is supposed to be the trigger that puts kicks them on for the rest of the season, it's a pretty bleak season ahead for them. Yeah, I was just I'm just looking back through Arsenal's uh, Twitter feed last night, and the game on 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 full time um, was a there was a picture of Aubameyang scoring his goal. And uh, they said they, we felt that one in a flexed arm emoji. And the next thing they, they retweeted was Bukayo Saka's post um, of him sitting on the turf with his sort of head between his knees, just looking down at the floor, very dejected. And it, the caption simply says, you deserve more Arsenal fans. So I th- from what I'm seeing there, it looks like Arsenal are, are almost like, yes, get in, we've got a point. And then they're retweeting things from the players saying you deserve more. And it it seems to be a bit of a contradiction, Callum. It's one of them where 
everyone knows they should be doing better, but they're kind of happy as as um, as JP said that you know the the scraping round now and and the celebrating a point against Southampton. Maybe the maybe the Twitter feed is kind of. Um... A, a sort of insight into kind of how the team are playing as well because they are a side that lack any kind of identity we've we're used to arsenal fan to arsenal uh the team playing in a certain way having a very strict style everybody knowing their roles and last night the team that had that was southampton and that's why they're so hard to beat because they have a way that they play and they press and they are very difficult even though you know what to expect from them to actually beat them and it's it's just yeah the arsenal are a club I wouldn't really go as far to say a crisis just yet because you know it is an odd season. That's always going to be the caveat. But they're a, they're a club and a team that are really sort of lacking an identity at the moment, sort of beyond producing very lovely Adidas adverts. Um, and their sort of you know their footballing division is is not quite up to scratch. Um, it's just, it's a strange one. I I don't know. You know we we were talking there about Ancelotti deserving time. Mikel Arteta is kind of the opposite problem in that it's not going well but he has no managerial experience so how much time do you give him um you know we can sit here and say oh Ancelotti deserves time because of everything he's done in the game Arteta doesn't have that um so you're kind of in uncharted territory and, and it's sort of a bit of a toss-up whether he can sort that out do you think um Arteta would have been would have been under serious pressure of losing his job had they lost sort of 3-1 to Southampton last night yes 100 percent. you think yeah. wow yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, to be honest, I I would agree with that. I was looking at the game and I was thinking, you know, how long do you give this before you you're accepting defeats at home? Um, if you don't have a look at things and see who else is out there, but that's another that's another question to be honest. Who... But then that 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 said though, sorry, I think like the the management above him at Arsenal. This is on them because they have the rot, as JP said, set in a long time ago, and they've sort of slid into mediocrity because they have accepted more and more of these results. And they don't seem like the kind of people that are suddenly going to throw everything up in the air. You know, Arsenal are a team that, like, for them, the directors are kind of there to sort of bother the the Champions League places and and keep making the money. And and maybe the the only thing that will actually prompt the change is if they don't make European football this season, which on the table at the moment doesn't look likely. Yeah, I've seen that. I think that would be an excellent. Excellent point there, Callum. You know that there's an old again. There's an, there's an old uh, cliche that, that failure has many fathers, and, and I think that's the case at Arsenal. Um, Arteta may carry the can for what's going on right now, but this has been coming for a long, long time. Um, and and uh, to me, uh, as an outsider, again, we we, we know no skin in the game, as it were. I think that Arsenal always epitomise a lot of what is I see as overpriced, overrated. Uh, uh, Athletes who are pretty bang average, uh, top tier footballers, um, at a club that has uh, an image and a prestige that probably isn't quite as merited as 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 in other places. Um, and uh, I think that where they are now um, is sort of the embodiment of that. Because I think you used the word character. They've got no personality. They've got no character. You know, I, I see that, but. And a lot of fancy haircuts, a lot of uh, uh, fancy photo shoots, a lot of everything going on, big, big wages, um, big reputations and absolutely nothing to back it up. Well, I think that sums it up pretty well, uh, to be honest. So we're going to leave, we'll leave Arsenal there. We'll probably talk about them again <laughs> at the weekend when they turn in another 
shocking performance and we're talking about Mikel Arteta <laughs> on Monday and who's going to come in to replace him but we're going to move I'm on I'm only better they took Kieran Tierney away for Celtic <laughs> <laughs> do you know what when you when you said about the overpaid overrated players I'm assuming I was thinking I'm assuming he's not talking about Kieran Tierney here because he wouldn't have a bad word said about him well, leave the boy alone <laughs> <laughs> to be fair he's probably the only one you'd look at in that team or want in your team if you're a, a top uh-huh. six rival but we're going to move on to another part of London now we're going to have a look at the one thing that was the standout thing that came out of the West Ham and Crystal Palace game it ended 1-1 but Sebastian Haller his bicycle kick is something that you've just you have to if you've not seen it please just go and go to Twitter go to Reddit whatever you however you see your uh, your highlights and make sure you see this because his bicycle kick was absolutely insane um, it, it earned West Ham a point um, at Crystal Palace. The game was okay, but the the bicycle kick was top drawn. It got me thinking about two things. Number one is I can't remember a team scoring so many bicycle kicks over the years <laughs> than West Ham for some reason. Um, and it's also, the West Ham way. Yeah, it, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Nobody knows what the West Ham way is. Maybe <laughs> it's big lads scoring insane bicycle kicks because the last one I remember... Um, other than Haller at the start of last season when he first joined, was do you remember Andy Carroll when he scored that insane? <laughs> but I can't remember who it was against, but he nearly took the net off at the London Stadium. He, he hit it that hard. It would. It, he hit it that hard. It would have hit the first section of the crowd, which is beyond that ridiculous uh, running track they've got going around at the London Stadium. So um, it got me thinking, like how. How is such a big guy like Seb Haller such an amazing athlete? He's scored three or four acrobatic efforts now. He doesn't seem to score tap-ins. He, ten- he tends to score insane goals. But JP, could you pull that off? Have we seen that in the, the parks of Glasgow over the years? Mate, still seen it today if you're at my back garden and that. You know, it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, I can't get back up after it now. It's, uh... <laughs> and I pulled my hamstring in the process. By the way, I quickly checked who Andy Carroll scored that against. You were talking about, believe it or not, it was Crystal Palace. Was it? <laughs> As you were talking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, the, uh... but honestly, man, the, the, the technique, the athleticism... Uh, the confidence to do it, and, and, and you know, you're anybody that's played football at any level doesn't matter if it's if it's Sunday league, um, or, uh, or or professionally. Um, every you know, maybe once or twice in your career, there's a ball floats at just the right height, at just the right pace that you don't even think about it. You find yourself and you're starting to, you're, you're starting to fall backwards into the bicycle kick position before you've even moved <laughs> up. And then it's usually you're, you're usually halfway through the motion when it registers in your head. What are you doing? You're trying to bicycle kick. And, that, and that's when your body tenses up and you completely mess it up. But uh, just amazing, man. What, what a highlight. And I, I suppose that's what 45 million quid gets you, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it should do. Do you know what I've got in my head now when you've said that? Do you remember that, you know, that sort of meme where you, you split screen and it says um, there's like a, a record scratch and it says you may be wondering how I got in this position <laughs> it's one of them where Seth LA is looking at the sky thinking is this the right I... thing to do and then he connects <laughs> it connects just perfectly it flies in the top corner um, Cal is there a better bicycle kick bicycle kicker in the Premier League right now than West Ham as a team and Seb Haller as an individual <laughs> Uh, categorically, no. I mean, only because I can't. I can't actually think of another one um, except the one that he scored first of January this year against Bournemouth. It's funny, like uh, Seb Haller is kind of 
he, he arrived to great fanfare. He was going to be the, the big hope for West Ham United. Finally, they've got a top European striker because of what he did at Frankfurt. And he's, it would be fair to say he's not, he's not really sort of, you know, torn it up since he arrived. But, I, you know, if he's there to score goals like that, then I think we can, he's a, he's a worthy addition to the Premier League. I think we also forget that players that we sort of slate a wee bit or think, oh, he's, he underperforms, you know, to, to still be at that level you still have to be really bloody good and that bicycle kick is the perfect example of that I think yeah as long as he doesn't spend two weeks out with a pulled hamstring now I think it's 100% <laughs> worth worth the uh, the juice was well, worth he's gonna, the he's gonna he's gonna try that every single game I, I watch watch him in his next game and, and see when he tries that again I, I think he does anyway what they need to do on match of the day each week is do a little halle section of the unsuccessful ones he uh, he tries each week and we'll see we'll see what his uh, ratio is like but We'll move move on to uh, another part of that game which uh, got to sort of caused a few headlines. It was the other striker at the other end of the pitch, uh, Christian Benteke, who scored and he had a bit of a mixed game. He got booked and he scored and then he got booked again. But basically, he was sent off for two almost identical challenges where he jumped and his arm went across the defender. Um, They were saying on Match of the Day last night, it it's harsh um and i i don't know about you guys but i'd be inclined to agree i don't think there was any real malice in the challenges um jp it was kind of one of them wasn't it where he was just jumping and his his ham his his arm went up so yeah. he wasn't looking at the the defenders each time i think it was Ogbonna the first time yeah. um but it, it did seem harsh didn't it very and I, I, I thought you know it's frustrating isn't it um that People seem to, and whether it's referees or the games authorities, seem to be determined to ignore the the, the laws of physics um, and, and human biology. That, that when you when you propel your body through the air uh, at speed and power, certain limbs may move in certain ways, and certain limbs have to move in certain ways to allow you to propel your body in that direction. Um, yeah. Everybody's to tackle in the penalty box now with their hands tied behind their head. Everybody's to jump for a header with their hands straight down by their side. Um, I mean, there's a big difference um, between uh, catching someone with an arm and catching someone with an elbow. You know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between those two things. And uh, and players know what they're doing in, in those instances. So to, to see him... I mean, Benteke's a massively frustrating footballer at the best of times. But uh, I, I, I felt as if last night that only compounded um, a wee bit of the... Uh, at times, I feel as if Benteke has an attitude as if as if the world's against him, and, and it's kind of poor me. And I think there's a wee bit of that going on there. But he was definitely harshly dealt with, and I think uh, Roy Hodgson kind of kind of touched on it last night when he said that, um, you know, he doesn't want to come across as someone who thinks that every single decision on a football pitch should go his way, but that one should have. As a fellow, as someone who is um, exactly as big as Christian Benteke is and with one iota of his talent, uh, I can I can sympathise when you jump for a ball playing football. My limbs certainly go ev- everywhere. Um, and if there, were, <laughs> if there was ever a referee watching, I'd probably be victim to exactly the same decision. So yeah, it's kind of laws, the laws of physics that he that he seemed to fall foul of there rather than the actual laws of the game. Yeah, we are, we are going to get to a point, aren't we, where it's almost like you've almost got to play football in, in a straight jacket to keep your limbs in by your side because if you're blocking a shot, hands behind your back. If you're jumping, your hands by your side or something like that. And it's it does seem to be going too far. One thing I, I also would like to say, I don't think VAR does it any, any justice because 
as soon as you slow something down, you see totally, the arms totally go out yeah. and you think, did he mean that? Mm-hmm. But VR should be look. Mm-hmm. I think VR should be used to look at look at the player's eyes. If he looked at all towards the, the mm-hmm. defender, maybe there was intent. But I think in both situations there with Benteke, his eyes are completely on the ball. He's using his arms in a completely natural way, and it's just unfortunate that it that it hit the defender. But Again, under the laws of the game, it's a yellow card and two of them means uh, means red. So Christian Benteke will miss Crystal Palace's next game and they'll have to cope without him just as he uh, just as he started to show some form and score a goal. But also last night there was two other games. Um we haven't really You've got been trying to, to avoid. We haven't really got time to talk about <laughs> Leeds five, Newcastle United two, for obvious reasons. It's the best best game of the night. It probably was. It probably was. Um in short, Steve Bruce is an idiot and uh, Leeds are quite good. So there you go, that that'll do for that one. Honestly, another but Jim would fume at me if I was given hosting opportunity and just used it as a as a forty five minute Steve Bruce rant. So I'll uh, I'll let that one slide today. Maybe we'll talk at the weekend when we get beat again. Um, but also Fulham nil, Brighton nil. That was about as good as it sounds. Um, so we're going to wrap it up there for for section two because nothing happened. Um, worth talking about at Craven Cottage. Probably the most interesting thing going on there was the construction on the uh, the Riverside stand that was going on. Um, but we'll leave it there for, for Section 2 and when we come back for the next part, we'll be looking forward to tonight's games which involve Manchester United, Sheffield United trying to get the first win and another game which is Burnley against Aston Villa. So join us soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk the latest Premier League news for your team. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We've already talked about all the stuff that happened from last night, except uh, Newcastle United's defending. Um, but we're going to talk about what's going to happen tonight. And we've got two more games to round off this busy midweek fixture period. Uh, the first one, six o'clock's offering, is Aston Villa at home to Burnley. Um, and then we've got Sheffield United versus Man United at 8 o'clock. So we're going to start at Villa Park. And Callum, it's, it's something for Villa to... It looks like an easy game on paper for Villa, but the last time Aston Villa won at home was when they beat Liverpool 7-2 at, uh, at Villa Park. And obviously, <laughs> right? I, I think a few people remember that one for, for obvious reasons. So they've lost three on the bounce since i think leeds have beaten them and a couple of others as well um fairly handsomely so is it a, a psychological thing of they need to get over this and 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 produce a performance against a team that aren't going to come and attack them too much they are going to sit in and, and try and frustrate them villa have designs on being a sort of top 10 team don't they with with the players that they've got and the investment that they've made and the size of the club and all this stuff and so they, this is a game where they need to sort of prove their credentials and, and act like it by by putting away Burnley with with ease at home, which they should do on paper. Um, but as you said, you know they've not they've not been winning so well at home. But I, I do think that if you're a, if you're an Aston Villa player, you've got to be up for this one in a way that that maybe you know fans tuning in aren't exactly up for Aston Villa Burnley at six o'clock. But I would really hope that you know this is an opportunity for Villa who can play pretty good stuff on their day to to show us what they're made of. Yeah, it does. It does seem like one of them where Burnley will Burnley. You know what you're gonna get from Burnley, don't we? Who we get in? They're gonna <laughs> yeah. they're gonna make it tough for 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 Villa to break them down. But JP, do you think Villa's success and and their lack of success at home is suited to the way they play 
on the counter attack. Um, so they it prefers they prefer being away from home where teams try and attack them and they can pick them off and use the pace and the creativity of Grealish and etc. Do you think it's now something that to go to the next level they have to be doing um, what the top sides do and breaking down a dominant possession against the tough side and, and finding a way through? I think you make a really good point there, Marley. Um, even just to very quickly reference back to the, to the Tottenham-Liverpool game last night, you know, one of the things that struck me when they showed you some of the post-match stats was how little of the ball Tottenham had. Now, you know, obviously, Liverpool got dominant possession and Tottenham uh, sit back and take that. But one of the things that I thought is it's pretty hard to win football matches with stats like that. You need to be really, really, really effective when you do get the ball. So I think if, if Villa are to take that next step and, and you do, you know, a home match against Burnley, Burnley, you should be dominating the ball. Um, then I, I do think that that's probably something they need to get better at um, is, 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 is having the ball for longer periods of the game, retaining much, much more possession and dominating teams, uh, beating them into submission early um, instead of looking to counter-punch as often as they actually do. Now, I, I know stats, that you know, there's an old saying that, that stats are a wee bit like, uh, like underwear, they're very nice to look at, but they hide the most important things because you don't get any context <laughs> and, you, and you don't get to, uh, and you can really manipulate them any way you are. So, so possession stats and all that kind of stuff, whilst they show that they don't do it, um, there is there, there are important lessons to be learned from them, and uh, and, and I think you made a really good point that, that if Villa are to consolidate themselves as a really solid uh, Premier League team and and kick on to that next level, if, if, you know, to, to to cement themselves in the top half and then push for those top six places, they need to be better at dominating games for longer periods of time. Yeah, uh, let's see what Aston Villa can do. Uh, a win for them tonight will take them back into the top half and. If things go their way, they will be seventh. So on the on the tail of Chelsea and Everton and Leicester and all the rest of them. So let's see what they can do tonight. But the other game uh, is Sheffield United at home to uh, Manchester United. Sheffield United, it's pretty grim for them at the minute. One point from 12 games, no wins, only one draw. Um, and they're six points below West Brom now. As it stands... Man United coming to visit them tonight with with a point to prove and and them trying to get into the top five if they win. Um, Callum, do you think it's have they got a hope? Sheffield United or how long does Wilder have if if they are to to lose tonight? Do you think he'll ever get into a position where they have to really look at him and say, okay, maybe we go in a different direction now? They have a hope in the sense that it's Manchester United in twenty twenty, and we literally have no idea what kind of Manchester United is going to show up but yeah you, you talk about Wilder obviously West Brom made the decision to sack Billich this week they obviously think that they can turn it around it's that it's that strange catch-22 situation that, that club boards must find themselves in where they're like right we're 12 games and we've not won anything but if we who first of all who do we get in you know Wilder has built that club in his own image he took us up from League One through the Championship to the Premier League. The thing that he hasn't been able to do, which is arguably the hardest thing to do and is a completely different skill to what he's already done, is he's not been able to adapt and uh, adapt to life in the Premier League and evolve the team. Sheffield United were were excellent last season, didn't make any changes really in the way that they played or the personnel. They seem to try and stay in the, the Premier League on a, on a shoestring budget, which is admirable, but at the same time, they've kind of only got themselves to blame and I I wouldn't be surprised if Wilder went it would probably be sad but his legacy at Sheffield United is already secured in that sense um so yeah it's 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 just a shame to see them down there to be honest given last season yeah well well six points is a 
it's an absolute gaping hole at the bottom of the league um, at the minute. Obviously, Bilic has been sacked this week. Uh, GP, it's one of them where it is getting to sacking season. But one thing that I'll uh, that a couple of stats that have popped out from the game uh, before tonight. Man United will have won their last ten successive away. Premier League games if they beat Sheffield United tight, uh, tonight. Only four teams have ever done that before. Um, to be honest, I didn't see them. I didn't think they were in that much, that good a form away from home, uh, especially. But another thing to caveat that slightly, they haven't won away from home this season without going behind first in the league. Is <laughs> it something for Man United where they just need to kill off Sheffield United early and have a nice, easy win at the end I mean everyone would love a nice easy win Jesus but you know do you know what I mean like they need to have a nice clean performance and not have any drama to to really sort of change the mood fully at at Man United right now yeah they absolutely do but I don't think they're capable of it (laughs) I think Manchester United season and Manchester United's a club right now were perfectly summed up in the contradiction within those stats that you just gave us there how I had no idea that away form was as good as that either and uh, but yet you find that they have to go behind before they before they kick into gear. That's a dangerous game to be playing all the time because sometimes it might not quite work for you. And as as uh, as Callum alluded to there, I was kind of looking at this game earlier and I thought, well, do you know what? If if, if you're Sheffield United right now and you're like thinking we need a, a headline making Hollywood blockbusting uh, result to kickstart this season, give us any hope of staying up, you would have probably looked and went, tell you what, I'll take Manchester United at home any day of the week. <laughs> and then you uh, then you, you give us that stat about how uh, consistent they've been. And I, I think I saw something else as well, that 15 of their 20 points this season have actually been won away from home. So um, United away from home are a, are a pretty fierce uh, proposition. But there's, there's no two ways about it, man. If they can get their... They, they come into games... And they build into games far too slowly. Something seems to need to happen to kick them into gear. Just get on it from the minute. If the Manchester United can be on it from the minute the first whistle blows, they should be able to put Sheffield United away quite early on and and, and breathe easy because uh, what they are just making life so difficult for themselves with their crazy inconsistencies. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens because this game last season uh, at Bramall Lane, which was over a year ago now, it was only last season, but November the 24th, 2019, was when these two teams played this reverse fixture last season. Sheffield United went 2-0 up, then 3-2 down, and then got a 90th minute 3-3 draw, uh, thanks to Ollie McBurney's 90th minute goal. Uh, So if we're in for anything like that, it should be a decent game at Bramall Lane tonight. But we'll see and we'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast because that just about wraps us up for today. Um, Thank you to JP and Callum. Again, sorry for the proclaimers thing. I promise I won't do it again in future, but thank you for your contributions today. A pleasure, mate. You've got plenty of other stereotypes to choose from. (laughs) I'd love to to be witty enough to not fall into them, but the next time we meet, I'll probably call you the Stoltman brothers off the world's strongest man or something like that. I don't know. Anything could come out of my mouth. I don't even know what's going through it right now, except that Steve Bruce is an idiot and all the other stuff that is on my mind 24-7. You are the Manchester United of podcast hosts, mate. We just don't know what's going to show up. Do you know what? I'll take that and then we'll put that on my gravestone. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, guys. Um, We'll see you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily, where we'll be talking through all Thursday night's action and previewing the weekend's games. Join us then. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.